So our sermon series that we've been looking at has been playing our part in church life. Um, So far, we've heard Graham speak wonderfully about repentance and faith and baptism and Holy Communion. In this sermon, I'm excited to speak about the nature of worship. Before I start, let's take a moment in prayer. Father God, I pray that through the words I'm about to speak, you would help us to understand worship more clearly. And I pray that through my words, you would help and inspire us to become more worshipful beings in thought and action. Amen. So, I wonder, if I were to ask you, what's worship? What would you picture? Would you picture a person in church with their arms lifted high in worship? Or would you picture a person alone by themselves in their room, kneeling in prayer? Or uh, maybe you would picture sort of the look a younger sibling would give their older sibling. Or I hope they get positive looks, I don't really know. Um, I think that worship is when we positively acknowledge the true worth of something. We can worship all sorts of things in our life. But not all of our worship is well-placed. Not all of our worship is true worship. When I was in sixth form, I was obsessed with the idea of getting an iPhone. And I thought, if I had an iPhone, somehow my life would be so much better. I'm disappointed to tell you that when I got my mom's hand-me-down iPhone 3, my life did not revolutionize in the way I hoped it would. I think that's because, looking back on it, I'd given the iPhone too much value in my head. I think my worship of an iPhone was idol worship. By contrast, I would say that worship of God, acknowledging that God is of absolute worth, is true worship. And when we acknowledge that God is of absolute worth, we end up challenging those things in our life that we would consider to be idol worship. We can worship God in many different ways. This could be through singing songs of praise in church, through our giving, or in the choices we make every day. I'd like to suggest to you that worship isn't just something that happens in holy moments in church, but can be a way of being. I think of Psalm 57. I think that Psalm 57 can be very helpful to us in thinking what worship is and why we should do it. I found reading Psalm 57 over this week has been a very interesting journey. I think it said some interesting things, which I'll explain. To set the scene, this psalm was written in the voice of King David. Before he'd become king, he is alone in a cave, hiding from a murderous and jealous King Saul. After his best friend Saul, son Jonathan, had told him of Saul's murderous intent. I wonder what you'd be thinking. I wonder how you'd be feeling in David's situation. How would you feel if you'd been told that one day you would be king, but right now you're alone, hiding in a cave? David's words amaze, inspire, and baffle me. He begins by asking God to be merciful to him. For it is in God, David says, that he finds his refuge, 
he then intercedes to God, asking him to work out his purposes in him. It's only then that David remembers the situation he finds himself in and says that he feels as if he were in the midst of ravenous beasts. I find it interesting how he continues. David continues by saying, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. And again, his mind returns to the situation he finds himself in, and he remembers that he feels as if he were bowed down in stress. But nonetheless, he continues. His heart is steadfast, and he promises to make music to God, to praise God amongst the nations. He then ends by repeating his previous proclamation. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. I think that the way that David acts in this stressful and difficult situation can teach us things about the nature of sung worship and what it means for us to lead worshipful lives. The first thing that struck me in this psalm is the proclamation, Be exalted, O God, in all the earth, is repeated. I wonder if it's repeated because the first time David said it, he was saying it because he knew it was true. But the second time he said it, he said it because he felt it was true. I think it's important for us to remember that we don't always have to feel the things that we proclaim in worship. Often, worship can be proclaiming things that we don't feel, and then through the proclamation, we come to believe them more closely. I remember the day that I would say I became a Christian. I was 13, and I was in Soul Survivor, a big summer festival. Everyone was older than me, and I was trying to sort of fit in. So I was trying to look as holy as I could and jump as high as I could. And then it was a Wednesday evening, and I was tired from all of my spiritual, charismatic jumping. And I sat down. And I reflected on the words of the next song, thinking them quietly to myself. The worship band was playing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And I thought about Jesus, Jesus who had died for me, even though I was a sinner, condemned unclean. I remember that day, because I'd come to Soul Survivor pretty sure of God's existence, pretty sure that the Bible was true, I'm pretty sure that one day, when I was an adult, I would be a Christian when I was ready for all that would entail. But I left that Wednesday evening meeting a Christian, excited by God, excited to participate in church, talk about Jesus with my friends, and having been moved by God. That change happened in me through worship. Through worship, God showed me that being a Christian wasn't first and foremost about what Christ had done, about what I could do, but was first and foremost about what Christ had done for me. The change happened as I proclaimed in worship, in my heart, a truth that I didn't fully understand. And so I think that in true worship, we proclaim things about God, and then we are moved move to see things differently, move to see ourselves differently, and move to see the situations that we find ourselves in differently. 
We see this in the passage as well. As I mentioned, David said that he feels as if he were in the midst of lions, surrounded by men whose teeth were like spears and arrows. And yet he says, be exalted, O God, in all the heavens. Did David feel like saying that? Probably not. But rather, I think he was saying it because he knew it was true. However, the psalm also ends with David again saying, Be exalted, O God, above the earth. I think the fact that he repeats this is significant. I think that David meant it the second time. Another thing I noticed in this psalm was in the psalm, David speaks of his worship of God being like a refuge. I think that worship can and should be a refuge for us all. I certainly know that there have been times when I've come to church and for one reason or another haven't felt able to sing the songs of praise to God. I was glad that everyone else wasn't feeling like that as well because I felt that I was able to worship through them. I think what we see in this, the value of corporate worship, as our society is becoming increasingly individualistic, it's fair to ask, why do we come together on a Sunday to sing songs of praise to God? Sure, the worship of God reminds us who God is and reminds us who we are and changes the situations, how we view the situations we're in. But why do we need to do it together? I think that we worship together because we're a body. Some of us here may be grieving. Some of us may be doubting. Some of us may be feeling overwhelmed. We come together as a church to sing together because in our songs we can sing for our friends around us and our neighbors. Part of why we worship is because life is hard. It's easy for us to forget what is remarkable and what is true. It is easy for us to forget that we believe in a God who created the heaven and the earth, a God who became flesh and died for us, a God who knew us before we were born. Worship helps us individually and us as a church to remember afresh about what we believe. And so we worship together because our Christian faith is a shared faith. And a final thing that I noticed in the psalm was that worship matters not only because it changes the way we see God, ourselves, and when done corporately can support our friends and neighbors, but I also think that worship matters because it changes the way we live. We see the picture of what a worshipful life could be sketched for us in 1 Corinthians 10.31. In this verse, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. A fair response to this exhortation of Paul would be to say, Zoe, that's much easier said than done. It's easy to leave church with a new resolve in our heart that in whatever we do and whatever we say, we're going to do it for the glory of God. Doing it is a little harder. I've noticed that there is a frustrating and omnipresent gap between what we say and what we do. 
between what we believe and how we act. I think in part, that gap comes because we aren't just thinking beings. We don't just one day sit down and decide what we believe and then continue to live lives forever according to those beliefs. No. Rather, I think that we are heart-led humans. We are humans that are led by the things we value in our hearts. So I wonder what it means for us as Christians to say that we are heart-led people that make our decisions based on what we value. I'm reminded of Matthew 6, in which Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, Where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I think that we see in these verses a challenge. A challenge that the things we value end up determining who we are and what we do. In these verses, Jesus seems to be saying to us, that we can't be people who value lots of different things equally. We can't have two masters. So there's a choice before us about what's most important. And I think the question of what's most important to us is an important one. Because we can see from Matthew 6 that we are what we worship. I don't think that this choice of what's most important to us gets made just on one day. Rather, I think that we decide every day in the things we say, the things we buy, and the things we think. And in the things we don't buy and don't say and don't think, we are deciding what's most important to us. If we say that we as humans are thinking beings, rather than primarily people of the... If we say that we as people are not primarily thinking things, but are primarily people of a heart, we should rethink what it means to develop as Christians. In a life full of choices, what does it mean for us to choose wisely? I love this quote I heard once that says, if you want to build a ship, Don't drum people up to collect words. Don't give them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. I think that the formalized act of worship has the role of placing wonder in our hearts and thereby changing the way we act because it changes what we value. We see the same thing modeled in the psalm that was just read. In the process of his worship, David says, My heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and I will make music. In other words, in the process of worship and in the process of declaring who God is, 
David resolves to act differently. He resolves to have a steadfast heart and to praise the Lord among the nations. Here we see that the act of worship has changed David's outlook. I would say that this is true worship. True worship engages our heart to remember who God is. And these beliefs inspire us to act. We worship in formalized acts and individually so that we can have our hearts re-enlightened as we try to lead worshipful lives. It's easy to forget the big picture as we get busy living our lives. And I think that worship in church and in private has the role of helping us to remember the big picture and the role of empowering us as we try to live as if God were king. So I wonder what it means for us to say that worship matters. I wonder what it means for you. In preparing for this sermon, I felt God put two challenges on my heart. Firstly, I wondered how I related to the corporate gatherings of worship on a Sunday. Did I look forward to them as a chance to reorient my mind on God? Secondly, if I am what I worship, who am I and what do I worship? I think worship matters. And I wonder in what I've said has struck you. What does it mean for you to be a true worshiper? Let's reflect on this for a moment. Then I'll pray. And Steve will come up and lead us in some songs of worship. Lord God, I thank you for worship and that through worship we can come to see you better. I thank you that we have the privilege of coming together as a church to sing songs of worship to you. We have the privilege of meeting in community and talking about our faith. I pray, Father, that you would renew us and renew us to have hearts of worship. I ask that you would help us through action and in song to lead worshipful lives. Amen.